Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to be a people that are thankful in every situation. It's what you find often in the Psalms, as the psalmist is a thankful individual, you find the thanks rendered to God for the wonders and the glories and the salvation, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the compassion that God has for His people. And so it becomes something that we express as the people of God. Now you think just about the Heidelberg Catechism and how the Catechism is divided up into three sections, guilt, grace, and gratitude. And in that section of gratitude is a people that are thankful to God for the grace that He has granted to them to be redeemed and reconciled and brought to Him as the people that worship the true and living God in spirit and in truth and not rejoice in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a wondrous gift. It is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. And for that, we ought to be a thankful people. We ought to be thankful knowing that God works all things together for good to those that love Him, to those that are the called according to His purpose. All things. The most horrendous events that happen in life. I can be thankful knowing that the Lord has a purpose in the event that He sent upon me. We sang it. Send grief and pain. And then the next stanza says, Sweet are your messengers. Grief and pain are sweet messengers that the Lord sends. But we often are not thankful through those times. We're not thankful oftentimes because we are not reflecting upon what God is doing through the grief and the pain. But you find that in the life of the psalmist. The psalmists often go through difficult times and they then resound with thanksgiving to God, even through times of depression and discouragement. You find that the Lord revives them again so that they are a thankful people in the praise that they render to the Lord. Now let me ask you this. How unthankful have we been this past week? How many of you have prayed and have been angry because in your mind the Lord sent too much rain? What about when you don't think you've had enough rain? you begin questioning the sovereign hand of God. And then you begin mumbling and grumbling through your prayers. And oftentimes we are people that don't express what's truly going on in our heart. God knows our hearts. How foolish to act as if God doesn't know what I'm thinking and what's going on in the depths of my being. I just don't think we live in a day that's real Christianity. There's a lot of phoniness that goes on. You don't find this in the reading of the Psalms. The psalmist is expressing the inmost things going on, the desires, the grievances, the refrain that is going on in his heart. He's expressing it to the Lord. And he's telling God, Lord, have you cast us off forever? Are you not hearing our prayers? He speaks to himself. He tries in in this sense to bring encouragement to his own soul. To lift himself up again with the encouragement of the word of God. But he's not denying that he's going through dark and difficult days. There are some dark psalms in scripture. Psalm 88 I think comes to mind. 
in what the psalmist is going through there. And darkness is my only friend. You know, there is a song that sings that. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. This is what the psalmist is experiencing. No, no light, as it were, from the countenance of God, but only the darkness and the discouragement that goes on in his soul. So there is a constant need for the people of God to cultivate Scripture in the heart. To be those that are reviving themselves, as it were, by the ministry of the Word and the Holy Spirit. This is how God works, beloved. I've told you this again and again and again. That to cultivate a thankful heart, we've got to be people of the book. Not dabblers. You know what dabblers are. You know those people that buy books and they, they, they look good when they're carrying around that big book. But they read a couple of pages and they put it on the shelf and they never get back to it. We're not dabblers. We are those that are being stayed in the Word of God. Reading, cultivating, meditating again and again and again. It's not a been there, done that. It's a keep on keeping on. I don't know how many times I've been through the Word of God. And yet I come across things and I wonder and scratch my head, if, if, I, if I not seen this before, why is that? Maybe at that particular time when I'm going through a, a certain situation, it becomes more lively in my life. And the Lord reveals that to me at that particular time, which it didn't have as much significance as I was reading through it at other times. And that's the joy and the blessing of cultivating the Word. And this is what the psalmist is doing. As we learned last Lord's Day, there's no occasion given here. The, the subscription is that David is the one who wrote the psalm. And David is reminding himself to praise the Lord for the wonders of God's benefits. Now, how often have we reflected upon all that God has done for us? It's exhaustive, I understand. But do we even strive to cultivate the benefits of God in our heart? To remind ourselves of who we are and who God is. And that we know who we are because we know who God is. Have we been humbled because we know who God is? Have you become prideful and arrogant because you say you know God? That's contrary to what you find in the Scriptures. The more that you come to understand and the more you come in closeness of contact with the Lord, the more humility ought to ooze out of your own life. That you begin to see yourself as you truly are. Let me think about this. I was a kid and I was with a, with a sled, sledding, and I can't remember how old I was, you know, maybe 12 years old. And you'd be out there all day. And you come in the house and your fingers and your toes are frozen. And they hurt really bad. And my mom would run them under cold water. And when the feeling started coming back to the fingers, it was excruciating pain. I can remember crying from that pain. And I thought about that. And I thought about, that's like as we approach unto God, and the more that we know Him in a deep, abiding, reverential way, 
It's painful. Because it reveals who we truly are. And yet at the same time, I knew that through this pain with my fingers and toes, the feeling would come back and there would be healing in that. And that it is with the Lord. There is healing in knowing Him in a deep way. It's what Paul prays for in the churches of Philippi and Ephesus. That we would know God in this way. Epignosis, a deep abiding knowledge. Not a surfacey thing, but depth of understanding. And you can't get there by being those that dabble in the Scriptures. We need to be those who our minds are controlled by the Word of God. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 that we would be filled to fullness with the Word of God. That it would dwell in us richly. Then it would then construct the way that we think. It would direct the way that we walk. And so David is saying this, forget not the benefits of God. He was speaking them to himself. That's what we need to do. We need to speak God's truth to our hearts. So, Picking up in our text this morning, verse 6. These are some of the benefits that the Lord gives to His people. Notice, He says that the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord cares for His people that are oppressed. To be oppressed means to be pressed down. To be afflicted in certain ways. You find that all throughout the Old Covenant. Where Foreign nations would oppress the people of God, and God would always be their rescue, their aid, the one who revives them again, the one who executes justice by punishing an ungodly nation. The Lord is the one who executes righteousness. In our world, at times, you could say, it seems like they got away with murder. Nobody gets away with it. You may escape the justice of men. You may escape the eye of mankind. But you will not escape the eye of the Lord. God executes righteousness. And necessarily, beloved, when the Lord executes righteousness and justice for the oppressed, He is therefore pressing down a foreign nation, an enemy of the people of God. God will do this work. He will do what is right, what is just, and what is holy. That's what Abraham said to the Lord. Will not the Lord of all the earth do right? Will you slay the wicked and the righteous together? Far be it from you, O Lord. The Lord would never slay the righteous with the wicked. Because God is holy. So he executes justice. Justice and righteousness. The just thing. The right thing. And what is right? What is right is what God says is right. What is just is what God says is just. They don't match in our world. What men think is right and just is an abomination in the sight of God. Men think that it's right and just for there to be transgenders in our world. And I don't know what planet you're living on. But everybody knows That is grotesque. But nobody wants to say anything about it. The church doesn't speak up. The church doesn't call them to faith and repentance in Christ. The church doesn't say, this is an abomination to God. Change your ways and your doings before the Lord. Repent of your wickedness. Nobody says anything. 
Why? We're afraid of the backlash, the pushback from the world. You realize that this is only a minority of people in this world. It is the tail wagging the head. That's what's going on now. And we're so afraid to say anything because you might be sued. You might be prosecuted. Something might happen to you because you opened your mouth. So we go around saying nothing because everything is an offense. Well, this ought to be an offense to the church because it's an offense to God. And we ought to speak up when things are an offense to the Lord. Because God is a righteous God. His people are to be a righteous people. God is a just God. We are to be a just people. God will deal with those who oppress His people. Notice in God's covenant faithfulness what He does making His way known to Moses. This is the revelation of God. God has made known His ways to us. We can read from Genesis to Revelation of the ways of God. And we can then with authority say particular things about God because He's revealed Himself to us in His Word. God hates particular things. We read in Proverbs 6, six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination to Him. You know what an abomination is? The word abomination makes, it it means that it makes his soul loathe, vomit, just simply using a metaphor. If God could vomit, that's what it would do. It would make his soul vomit. That is an abomination. There are seven particular things that scripture reveals that are an abomination to our God. Therefore, it ought to be an abomination to the church. And that God reveals them to us in His Word and His ways and how He punishes the evildoer, so we ought to proclaim that as well. How often do we don't open our mouths because we're afraid of what people might say? How often have you been on your job or you've been somewhere that you didn't say something? And yet we have the teaching of Scripture that says, as us, as the watchmen on the wall, as people that are to warn about the righteous wrath of God that is coming, that God is going to require it of us if we keep silent. Do you realize that? Do you you think, beloved, do, do you really think that you're safe because you haven't said anything? Do you really think that you're not going to give an account to God? Because you haven't said anything, you are going to give an account for being one of the closed mouth. Because we are not called to be a closed mouth people. We are to go in the highways and the hedges in proclaiming salvation in Jesus Christ. And we don't do it. Why not? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You're afraid of something. Are you embarrassed of your Savior? Are you embarrassed of the one who plucked you out of the muck and the mire and brought you to himself and cleansed you with the washing of water with his word? Are you embarrassed of him? Why are we afraid to mention the name of Jesus? I don't care if it offends people. This is the problem that I think is going on with the church. We are so concerned about offending man and we are too readily willing to offend God. Something is systemically wrong 
in the life of the church. God made his way known to Moses. And he's revealed them to us. We serve a righteous God. A holy God. He does not lower his standards. You know what God commands to enter into the kingdom of heaven? He commands perfection. And you saying that nobody's perfect does not lower the standard. God demands perfection. And you and I don't have it. But I know one who does. And I know one who says, come, come to me. You weary, you heavy laden, I and I alone will give you rest. He gives the righteousness. He covers and clothes. Again, going back to the Old Testament with Ezekiel. And this is the imagery of the people of God. We were as those that Ezekiel describes that were cast off at birth. Like a child that is born in a gas station. In the bathroom. And then cast off into the dumpster. And left as refuge. We were as that. Cast off at birth. And the Lord passed by and found us wallowing there in our blood. And it's the Lord who grabbed us. It's the Lord who washed us. It's the Lord who cleansed us. It's the Lord who covered us. It's the Lord who brought us to Himself. Like Mephibosheth, where David says, there will never be a time where he will not be sitting at my table eating from my food. He didn't deserve it. He even calls himself a dead dog. And yet, David, because of his love for Jonathan, brought him in. That's what the Lord does. He brings us in, beloved. He brings us in as His people. He feeds us. We dine at the banquet table of the Lord forever. We will never be those that are cast away from the banquet table of God. God washes and He cleanses us. What a wonder. God saved Moses. God saved the children of Israel. He makes Himself known. God reveals Himself to us. That He's a righteous God, but He's... He is a covenant-keeping God. He is a compassionate God, a long-suffering God. God forgives. The one who has fulfilled all the demands of the law, Jesus Christ. That perfection that I need to enter into the kingdom of heaven, that, that is that which is, is communicated to me by true faith, which even the faith that I have to believe on, that Christ is a gift from God. That when He communicates all of His perfection, His holiness, His satisfaction, His righteousness, I am as righteous as Christ is righteous. That is my position in Christ. What a wonder. Me who sin daily, who fall short in all of my thoughts, words, and actions, I will never be cast away from the banquet table of the Lord because of Jesus Christ. What a wonder that God has revealed His ways to the children of men. He's made known His ways. Do you know the ways of God? I mean, even the pagans around Israel knew of the ways of God. Notice Rahab. She already knew of the wonders of God and what He did to the Egyptians. She already had heard. The word got around, didn't it? Of what God had done. He made known. So we are to make known the things of God. He made them known to Moses, the acts, His acts to the children of Israel. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness. 
They came away from seeing all the wonders that God did in Egypt. And what did they do? Just like we do. No different. We're just like them. We're more like them than unlike them. I told my daughter that one time. She didn't appreciate that. But I said, you're more like your children than unlike your children. We come and we take the Lord's Supper. And we may reflect for a moment on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then we walk away grumbling. The prayer was too long. The preaching was too long. The service was too long. Didn't sing the hymns that I like. Not enough hymns. It's too cold. It's too hot. The lighting wasn't good. There were flies in the congregation. Whatever. We grumble. We complain. We do the same thing. They saw all the wonders of God. And they come out in the wilderness and begin grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And that's what Moses and Aaron say. Your grumbling and complaining is not against us. It is against the Lord. So it is with us. Our complaining, your complaining, my complaining. It's not against me. It's not against you. It is against the Lord. And yet God forgives. God is patient. God is long-suffering as He reveals His acts to the children of Israel. God is long-suffering with us. I'm not long-suffering like the Lord. And you aren't either. Far from it. We're quick, aren't we, to be angry. The Lord is compassionate. Notice what He reveals here in in verse 8, that the Lord is merciful and gracious. Do you know where this comes from? The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Do you know where that's taken from? It comes from Exodus 34. And and that's mentioned, I I think, like five or six times. It's mentioned here in Psalm 103. It's mentioned in Psalm 145. It is mentioned in Joel 2. It's mentioned in Jonah chapter 4, Nehemiah chapter 9. So much so it became a confession, a creedal statement of who God is. That he is long-suffering, merciful, compassionate. This is our God. It comes from Exodus 34, where it's mentioned here, drawn from Exodus 34, when God spoke to the children of Israel after they erected a golden calf. What would you and I be like? You come back and the people of God have erected a golden calf. What would you do? How would you respond? You remember Moses throwing the tablets of the law. God shows himself to be merciful. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Of myself. Now I'm not of myself. I am in Christ. But of myself, I deserve temporal and eternal punishment. I deserve the second death. I deserve to be cast out and to be under the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death. God is merciful. We are those emblems of God's mercy. That God has not given us what we deserve. We deserve to be punished everlastingly in hell. The wrath of God descending upon us. Pain and suffering and sorrow, the gnashing of teeth and wailing that must go on where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. We've earned that, beloved. God has not given that to us. He's given us mercy. He's refrained from giving us 
what is due to us. Why did he do that? Because that was punished in Christ. Christ is the one who took that upon himself for all those that were given unto him. He suffered the wrath of God. What we have in the catechism, the inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors of the cross. Notice the word inexpressible. What does that mean? You can't express the pain and the terrors that Christ went through on our behalf, in our place, condemned he stood. We can't express it. That he cried out, and he cried out on our behalf. When you read that account, you see Jesus on the cross, and you see him crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's what we deserve. We deserve to be forsaken by God. My sins have merited the abandonment of God, that He would abandon me forever and cast me to the depths of hell to suffer the just judgment of His wrath. But because the Lord is merciful, He doesn't give me what is due, He gives me what I don't deserve. Notice it says he's gracious. They're coupled together. God's mercy and grace. You find that over and over again in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Grace and mercy abound towards you. And beloved, the wonder of God's mercy, right? As a believer, as one who knows the word, and yet I'm still sinful, and yet there is still rebellion, and God doesn't give me what I deserve. He never casts me away from the banquet table. He never disinherits me. He never kicks me out of his home. That is all owing to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is gracious. This is what I do not deserve. He gives me Christ. Now, the scriptures refer to Jesus as the mercy of God and the grace of God. It's not a substance. Sin is not a substance. Grace is not a substance. Grace is a person. The grace of God is redemption in Christ. It is Jesus Christ delivering us from all of our sin. That is the grace of God. And this is what God gives us. He gives us His Son. He gives us a Redeemer. He gives one to fulfill what I do not fulfill. I cannot fulfill. I will not fulfill. He gives that one to fulfill in my place. And then he gives that one to absorb the wrath to come upon me that I might stand whole before him, just, holy, righteous, not guilty because of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. What a wonder that God is merciful and gracious. How many times did you sin this week? How many times did you neglect being in the Word? Don't don't think that that's not a sin. We're commanded to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. So our negligence in partaking of God's word is sin. Well, how much did you partake of that this week? And yet God is gracious. God continues to revive and stir up his people. He is reminding us right now of how merciful, compassionate, and gracious he is to us. He's slow to anger. What about you? Are you you quick to anger? I have my moments. 
I'm not slow to anger like the Lord is slow to anger. I would love to be slow to anger. I would love to be able to put up with stuff and nothing bothers me. That's not me. It may be you. It's not me. I have a hard time with that. I struggle with those things. I I struggle with the inhumanity of man towards man. I struggle with the lethargy of the church. I struggle with the lack of encouragement in the church of Jesus Christ. I struggle that we don't speak to one another, encourage one another. We are those that are stirring one another up to love and good works. I struggle with that. I struggle with what seems to me is more of a desire for the things of the world that are in the church than the things of the church. I struggle that the church seems to have more of a desire for the earthly mundane things. Not unimportant, but earthly and mundane temporal things more than the things of God. I struggle with that. Because that is simply a people who has not spoken the word of God to the heart and reminding themselves of the benefits of God and what God has done for us. And that all the things that you see are temporal. And the world runs for a temporal crown. We for an imperishable crown. But we're always found drinking at the fountain of the temporal. I I struggle with that. I don't understand it. And yet God is slow to anger. He put up with them in the wilderness 40 years. 40 years. He is abounding in mercy. God's mercy abounds. It is something that continues to go on and on. It's it's more than we can describe. We see something that is abounding and we say that is... A multitude. That is a, it's a great crowd. It just seems to go on and on and on. I saw a documentary in, uh, in, in Africa, in the savannah, and they showed these wildebeest. And from the airplane view of these wildebeest, it was abounding. I'd never seen anything like it. From the view of the plane, there was nowhere that you could look that you didn't see wildebeest. That's the mercy of God. It's abounding towards us. We who are undeserving and unworthy, God abounds in mercy. Beloved, therefore, we are to come to Him. We are to keep on coming to Him. We are not to refrain from coming to Him. When we sin, not if we sin, but when we sin. And when we sin this week and when we sin this day, we are to run to the Lord who abounds in mercy. And He is slow to anger. He remembers our frame. He knows that we are dust. The Lord knows how fragile, frail we are. The Lord knows the faultiness of the soul. The Lord knows the partial sanctification. The Lord knows our position, but He also knows our practice. And He doesn't cast us out. And so as He has revealed Himself to us in His Word, we keep on coming. We keep on running to the Lord. And we keep on receiving the mercy of God. What a wonder. 
that God puts up with us. That God is long-suffering and kind to us when we don't deserve it. We deserve his wrath. Well, as I told you, this is probably too much of a text for me. And it proved it, right? God doesn't always strive with us. And I'm going to end with this uh, verse 9. He won't always strive with us. And neither will he keep his anger forever. The word keep there, Hagar, means that he guards his anger. In other words, God's not going to be always angry with his people, contending, striving with his people. He will not always strive with us. And he doesn't keep his anger forever. His mercies are new every morning. Great is the faithfulness of the Lord. Think about that. New mercies every morning. Thinking about the anger of the Lord. How long is the Lord angry? How long will the Lord be angry? It's new every morning. And therefore, His anger is only for a night. But His mercy is new in the morning. His faithfulness again in the morning. What a God that we serve. Beloved, David is saying that we are to be a people that rehearse the goodness and the benefits of God. And as you rehearse the benefits of God, the goodness of God, the acts of God, what He has done, you will expand your mind. You will expand your love, your desire, your devotion, your worship, your commitment, your service to the God who has redeemed you. And as you do, you will be humbled. And it will cause you to grow. And it will cause you to esteem and honor and glorify the God, the God who has bought you, purchased you. And in this, He will also make you more and more like His Son as you behold Him in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. The things of earth become strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. As we behold Him, the things of this world become dim. And when the church sees these things in the world as bright and glorious, it's because we are eclipsing the person of Christ in His Word by the things of the world. Because when you really get a a view of the Christ and the glory and the honor and the praise and the adoration of Christ, He eclipses everything in this world. Nothing could be compared to Him. He eclipses the noonday sun, as Saul of Tarsus says. Behold Him. Behold the One who has redeemed you. That even in our rebellion, He's merciful. Even in our lackadaisical efforts, our lethargy, He's gracious. And praise Him. Pray that He would stir you up to love and good works. To honor Him out of a thankful heart from snatching you from the pit of hell, to which we of ourselves deserve. Amen. Shall we pray?